Good morning. Um, happy Sabbath goes out to all of you. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Gerard Joseph, and I'm going to be a senior, well, as the pastor said. And it's been a while since I've preached a sermon, but <laughs> bear with me. And I just hope that God can use me to bring his message to you. Um, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Most Gracious Father, we'd like to come to you humbly, asking you to fill our hearts and fill our minds, and help me to bring this message to your people so that they may understand it and go home completing it and being full of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It is not good. Let me tell you a story about a guy named Leon. Leon was a junior in college and had become a star quarterback on the football team during his freshman year, which meant that he had lots of people who wanted to be with him and to be his friend. He didn't mind the attention, and very soon he had a pretty girlfriend and became close friends with two of his teammates. He was happy with his life, and he felt nothing could go wrong at this point. One evening, after buying his friend's dinner again, the trio were walking back to the parking lot where Leon had parked his car, as he was the only one who drove, when suddenly a masked man emerged from the shadows, pointing a gun at them. Well, Leon was confident that the thief wouldn't risk robbing three big football players until he turned around and saw the shadowy figures of his two friends running away and leaving him alone. Leon was shot in the back and robbed of all his personal belongings, including the keys to his car. After lying on the sidewalk for several minutes, a compassionate driver stopped and called the ambulance. Later, at the hospital, Leon discovered that he was now paralyzed from the waist down and would most likely never walk again. And on top of that, once the university heard about it, they canceled his football scholarship to avoid having to pay for his treatments. Not one of his friends came to visit him or even send him a get-well card. And his girlfriend dumped him because, to her, he was a lost cause that would never amount to anything in life. It was at this point that the tidal wave of a very dangerous, yet sadly common emotion, overtook Leon, the feeling of being truly alone. So what does being alone really mean? Well, Merriam-Webster defines loneliness as being without company or cut off from other people. Although some of you are like, Psh, that sounds amazing. I don't like people. Well, it goes on to say that loneliness produces a feeling of bleakness or desolation, and that can directly lead to early stages of depression, a decreased lifespan, higher risk for obesity, high blood pressure, and suicide. Studies show that loneliness affects up to 47% of adults in America and is on the verge of being classified as a national epidemic. So clearly, being alone is not a good thing. And we can see that God agrees from our scripture reading today. Let's turn again to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and read together how God feels about loneliness. If you have it, say amen. All right, let's read. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. 
so I will make an help meet for him. So we can see that from the beginning, God addresses the issue of loneliness as being not good. The very first thing that God declares as not good after completing his perfect creation. As he sees Adam with the pressure of being alone weighing down on him, he knows that in his infinite wisdom, that being alone was not good for the human soul. Humans need human connections. So, God created Eve to be Adam's companion, but not just his wife, to be his best friend. It was here in the Garden of Eden that God instituted marriage as one of the most absolute forms of human companionship in the world. However, this does not mean that marriage is for everyone. In 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 to 28, the Apostle Paul says that even though marriage is ordained by God, it is not a sin to not get married. People who never marry are not disobeying a fundamental law of God. Their essential human connections form in different ways, but by first dedicating their lives and hearts to God. In verse 32, Paul goes on to say that he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord and how he may please the Lord. So Paul is saying that the time and energy that would normally be spent put into a relationship with your husband or your wife would now be directed into furthering the work of Christ and the gospel. And by doing the will of God daily, he would then put into your life the necessary friends and connections to support you and help build you up. In this way, being unmarried does not mean being lonely. Sadly, some marriages end up in failure, and divorce can be a cause for a very lonely heart. Outside of death, divorce is one of the hardest things a family can go through. Although sometimes it cannot be avoided, in Malachi 2.16, it states that the Lord God hates divorce. Very few things in the Bible God said that he hates. He hates sin, and he hates divorce. For it violently dismembers the flesh of healthy marriages. When two people have made a vow to each other and then break that vow, it affects the whole family. Think of it like this. If a wooden plank is floating along on the river of life, and it meets another woodland plank. And he says, hmm, that plank looks nice. So after a while, they end up getting married. They say, I do. That nails those two planks together. Now there's two wooden planks forming a raft going down the river of life. And along the way, some little planks might pop up on the sides to add to the raft. And as it's going along, it might hit some rapids. And those rapids are hardships that one can face in marriage. And divorce is like that rock in the middle of the rapids that hits that raft in the center and dismembers all of the planks. So now, the individual planks are left floating alone on the river of life without support or guidance. This is how divorce can affect the family. People who have gone through divorce can probably attest to this, that it makes you feel alone. Some children might feel like it's their fault that their parents broke up. And the parents might feel like it's each other's fault or their, self, their own fault. This comes to another point. It is the duty of the church family to support families and individuals dealing with divorce. Because ultimately, it's a very damaging problem when all the people involved are left to handle divorce on their own terms. There are three types of resources that the church can provide to prevent and to help recover from divorce. 
the church can provide programs of orientation for couples engaged to be married. So before they embark on that journey called marriage, the church can take them in, sit them down, and explain to them what marriage really means. There are other programs of instruction for married couples with their families. So family counseling can also help during times of hardship. The church can really be there for a family who's being rocky, don't know what they're going to do. The church can provide that support and foundation that, yes, you're going through something bad, but it will be okay if you trust in God. And the thirdly, there are programs of support for broken families and divorced individuals. So ultimately, if divorce cannot be avoided, the church can be there for their church family to help them get through painful divorces. So now I would like to bring this message a little closer to my fellow young people. Hi. Let's talk about friends and relationships. Everyone needs friends. And I know that the parents can testify that it seems like teens and young adults have way too many friends. <laughs> In fact, studies show that 16 to 24-year-olds have the most online friends with the least amount of meaningful connections with people. <laughs> Because of this, more and more people don't have personal connections that are meaningful and that last, which brings a feeling of never finding the right people and being lonely. Although it's totally different from being introverted, our generation has a harder time finding people who they can really let go with and they can show their true selves around. And the same applies with relationships. More than 60% of individuals in the U.S. who admitted to being lonely were between the ages of 16 to 24. People in our age group have trouble finding someone lonely, someone special, sorry, that they can share themselves with because of the expectations that we set as a lonely generation. Expectations such as loyalty without the necessary honesty, and looking for people who never make mistakes and never point out their mistakes. But guys, let's be honest. There are some toxic people out there, and some dumb people that we should just say no to. But how can we tell in a world where anyone can pose as something they're not? Well, a big part of it is that we often don't ask God to lead in our lives, and we rely on our own hearts and minds to decide who to let in our lives. The first thing we should do before doing anything in our lives is to ask God for His wisdom and use that wisdom to be alert when making choices concerning friendships and relationships. Jesus declares in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 to 12, that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together in winter, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a three-four cord is not quickly broken. So now we're going to talk about a subject that is never easy to discuss. Death. Unfortunately, death is a part of life, and it hurts, especially when the person who dies is family. Whether we like it or not, all of our relationships, all of our connections, no matter how strong, will ultimately end in death. Someone once asked, what's the difference between a chicken and a human regarding death? The answer is, a chicken doesn't know when he will die, but the human knows that he will die, and that fact 
can cause humans to have overwhelming sense of loneliness. We as Christians have the hope. No. We have the assurance that death is not the end once we are locked into a relationship with Jesus and have committed our lives to him. Jesus has conquered death, and we have no reason to fear it while abiding in him. The only lonely part of a Christian death is the family that are left behind to mourn. I myself have personal experience with losing family, probably a little too much, and it is never easy. Death is the biggest change that can happen to anyone's life, and when it hits, it rocks the boat of our hearts. Whether it's a family member or a friend who was like family, this season of loneliness that follows the death can be devastating. Trying to continue living life in the same world without those people that we have cherished can ultimately halt our spiritual and mental growth. We can see this in cases where people have obtained severe survivor's guilt after a family member or friend has died. This is why it's important not to dwell on the negatives, but to embrace the change in the spirit of Christ and look forward to that day when we will see our friends and loved ones praising God and rejoicing alongside Jesus himself. In Revelation 21 verse 4, Jesus triumphantly declares, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, and no more crying, no more pain, for their former things have passed away. In that day, the season of death and loneliness will forever be over. We as humans, however, don't only have connection with each other. For the most important relationship formed in the Garden of Eden is the most important connection in the universe, is that relationship between Adam and his creator. Our personal relationships with God make us able to form and maintain meaningful relationships with the right people, and it strengthens our faith in his power and plan for our lives. However, it can be hard to have such an amazing connection with God and also have a significant other or spouse who lacks the same beliefs. That's why Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14, not to be unequally yoked to unbelievers, not planning to dedicate their hearts to God. This results in the believer being spiritually single and feeling alone and or trapped in a hopeless situation. Sometimes it is better to be physically alone than spiritually constricted. Ellen G. White states in Gospel Workers, page 52, that Enoch's walk with God was not in a trance or a vision, but in all the duties of his daily life. He did not become a hermit, shutting himself out entirely from the world to praise God, for he had, in the world, a work to do for God. In the family and in his intercourse with men, as a husband and father, a friend, a citizen, he was steadfast, an unwavering servant of God. In the midst of a life of active labor, Enoch steadfastly maintained his communion with God. The greater and more pressing his labors, the more constant and earnest were his prayers. He continued to exclude himself at certain periods from all society, remaining, after remaining for a time among the people, laboring to benefit them by instruction and example, he would withdraw to spend a season in solitude, hungering and thirsting for that divine knowledge with God alone can impart. We have to be like Enoch. Before getting out in the world and dealing with day-to-day -day life, we have to really commit ourselves to God in the morning, find a quiet place away from all the noise, sit down, and have a one-to-one -one relationship with God. Because how else can we function? Jesus 
is our example, and he had one of the strongest connections with God in the, in the world. And like the pastor talked about last week, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he started to feel that God was about to leave him, he started to sweat blood and cry and break down because he had never before experienced such loneliness as being away from his Heavenly Father. So we have to strengthen our connection to God every day, whether it's reading our Bible, whether it's saying a prayer as we go throughout our school, work, lives. We have to maintain that connection with God so that we can maintain connections with other people. So we come back to Leon. Leon is lying in his hospital bed, thinking of all the choices he's made in life. He feels utterly alone. Then, surprisingly, a girl from his school comes to visit him carrying a Bible in her hands. She talks to him about her own life experiences and expresses her willingness to be his friend. She explains that she knows how lonely the situation can get. So she hands him the Bible and tells him that the greatest friend who ever lived lives between its pages. And after some months of reading and enjoying this girl's company, Leon finally began to rise out of his lonely state. He had found that Jesus was there for him, even when everyone else had abandoned him, and had even sent him a friend to help him realize that fact. And although it was hard, Leon began to recover from his tragedy, and every time those feelings of loneliness and despair clouded his mind, he would think about his favorite verse, Philippians verse four, chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Leon has now accepted that no matter his circumstances in life, God is with him. And more than that, will never leave him alone through the seasons of change that pass through his life. Loneliness is sadly an everyday part of human life, but it doesn't have to be the status quo. We have the hope and assurance that Jesus is by our side every step of the way. Wouldn't you like that same promise? Think on this as you leave from the sanctuary today. Jesus is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. And when you put God first, he will lift your life up out of your season of loneliness until you are higher than you could ever ask or think. Amen.